0: This is Look West, a podcast from the Assembly Democrats. I don't think that any woman is shocked to hear that there's um, predatory behavior in any industry. We allow a longer statute of limitations for a fender bender than we do for people to file claims of serious sexual harassment and of discrimination in housing and in the workplace. That can't be right. There is some place for legislation that changes some of our laws that make it make reporting difficult or make it restrictive or to help with information gathering. But when we're talking about culture change, you're not going to be able to legislate that. Number one is getting more women in positions of power in an organization so that they're seen as being equal.
1: Hello, thanks for joining us on Look West, a podcast by California's Assembly Democrats. I'm Sammy Gallegos. On this episode of Look West, we sit down with Glendale's Assembly member, Laura Friedman, for a discussion on the topic of sexual harassment policies and the culture change in the Capitol. So first, I want to say thank you, Assemblymember Friedman, for sitting down and talking with us today on this subject. I did want to start by going a little bit into your background and the work you did prior to getting into government. Uh, you, I know you worked in Hollywood. What was it like making that move from, one, the Hollywood like celebrity culture to the Capitol culture? that type of dynamic, relationship dynamics, prepared you for what you would deal with in politics or even prepare you for the policies you're going to have to make now regarding sexual harassment?
0: Absolutely. The dynamics in Hollywood in terms of how it functions is very similar to the politics in Sacramento. And when I say politics, I mean the interpersonal politics. So in Hollywood, my day consisted of going to breakfast, coming into the office, meeting with people who wanted me to do their projects, their television shows or their movies. And then I would go to lunch with an agent or a writer and we'd network. And then I'd go back and have more of those kinds of pitch meetings and then in the evening a lot of the socializing again with people. You're very interconnected. It's a town that's all about relationships. Also it's a community where you have a lot of people who are young and very hungry to get their toe in the door. In a very, very hyper-competitive environment, and you have people that have really outplaced positions of power and authority. People who wield tremendous influence over other people's fates and um, have uh, influence over projects that are, you know, multi-million-dollar projects. So they can literally make or break people's careers with one decision. In Sacramento, I go out to breakfast in the morning a lot of times or have coffee with uh, some of my colleagues or with lobbyists. I come in, and instead of pitching me movie and television ideas, people pitch me ideas for policy. They tell me about um, uh, legislation that they want to see introduced, and my office, we decide what we want to take on. And then in the evening, there's more networking with people because, again, it's about relationships. And then the next day, it all starts over. So it feels very familiar to me. Um, both in terms of the idea of creating content whether it's a bill or whether it's a movie script there's a similarity there um, you have to use a lot of creative parts of your mind and a lot of problem-solving sol- skills but it's also uh... an area that um, thrives on networking and interconnectedness now in terms of sexual harassment the similarities about people who are hungry and anxious to get their foot in the door either they're beginning their careers or they want to get elected or they are lobbyists who whose career depends on their ability to get their um, legislation forward or their viewpoints, um, you know, reflected in law is very similar to young people coming into the industry or young writers who want to sell a project. And then you also have people that have um, positions of, of great authority being the members and certainly leadership and also senior staff. and lobbyists and I would put, you know, people who represent large labor unions and large businesses and large industry sectors on the same level. They also have a lot of authority and they control de- uh, decision making that affects millions of dollars and people's careers. So you have similar dynamics that make both industries ripe for exploiting people.
1: Did it not surprise you to making that transition then when you when you were running for office, running for even at the city council level or at this level?
0: I don't think that any woman is shocked to hear that there's um, predatory behavior in any industry or even in just in different social situations. However, my experience with my colleagues has been very positive. I have been working with people who are extremely focused and extremely serious on representing their communities. Mm -hmm. So I was shocked just that it involved people that I knew personally. I didn't see that coming but that doesn't mean that Um, that I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. So it's unfortunate that we don't get surprised by this kind of thing, but I think it's right for the public to expect better from elected Mm -hmm. officials. We're representing the government, and we are in a place where people are putting young interns in our offices expecting that they'll be safe. And we need to deliver on that expectation. We need to do better. We have to set the pace in California. So it was, for me personally, um, very upsetting, more so than when I heard the stories about you know people that I had come in contact with in Hollywood.
1: Being a freshman lawmaker at this point, you're in a really interesting position that you were appointed to the subcommittee uh, as the chair of the subcommittee on harassment, discrimination, retaliation, prevention, and response. And the committee was formed before even the We Said Enough and the Me Too movements really got into the forefront of all of our everyday conversations here
0: as pu- members of the public and citizens. When I was assigned to chair this committee back in June, I didn't think much of it. I didn't know about what our I didn't know what our policies were in the Capitol about harassment. I was sure that like every other organization, we had procedures that were developed by lawyers that were very much in compliance with the law. Uh, I didn't know whether they were weak or strong. I didn't know about the systemic problems that the Capitol seems to be facing, so I didn't think much of it. And then time went by and when the women stepped forward um, with the We Said Enough letter and in the Capitol, and I was one of the signers of that letter, uh, and we started to realize the depth of the problem in the Capitol. I literally woke up one night and sat up in bed and said, wait a minute. I think that there's a committee on sexual harassment, and I think I'm the chair. And I called my office the next day, and they confirmed that that was indeed the case. And I said, well, it's time for us to get this committee moving. And so I was sort of the accidental leader of this effort in the Capitol, but I take it very seriously. And it's been um, gratifying to be able to have supportive leadership and to be able to do work that's going to be profoundly altering of the culture in the Capitol, that I'm sure of. I I think even having the conversation has changed things quite a bit. And having members have to step down um, because of their behavior was a wake-up call, I'm sure, to anybody who's been uh, doing the same type of thing. Were you surprised when you really got into the weeds of what the, the rules have been up to this point? Well, it took me a while to understand what's been happening over the years. Uh, and I only know really about the Assembly side. I don't know what the procedures and the policies have been on the Senate side. One of our efforts is to make one set of policies for both houses for the first time so that it will be much more transparent and easy to understand for people who want to come forward with complaints and I think that the you know the the human resources department the rules staff in the assembly um, actually has not done as bad a job as people seem to think they have I think that they do investigate they hear um, complaints they investigate them they try to mediate with people where they feel that that's or a possibility of, of Um, resolving situations, they try to make sure that people have a better work environment. But I think that where things break down is when it comes to maybe very senior staff and certainly with members. I think that that the accountability piece is what's missing because um, it's not up to the staff in the Rules Department to make those decisions, it's up to other people and it's up to members basically to police each other and to police themselves and that's the piece that I think needs to be changed. Now I'm not saying that we're not going to make big improvements along the whole process I and mean, we can certainly make it better, but it's not the case that they've never investigated or they've never um, disciplined people over the years. I, I just want people to understand that that has happened. It can certainly be better, um, but it, it's, you know, I would think that the compliance at the Capitol is pretty similar to what you get in a lot of private companies around the country. When you sat on a panel earlier this month discussing this exact
1: topic, one of the other fellow panel members said compliance is just checking the box. It's
0: how do we really change the culture here? Well, that's the really tricky piece because We had our, our first hearing of the bicameral committee last week and the thing that stuck out to me more than anything else was how every single person on the panel, and they're all human resource experts, they're all experts, there's one woman who had written seven books on this topic, who's an academic, they've really extensively studied this, and they all said the same thing over and over, which is that culture always trumps policy. So you can have the best and strictest policy in the world, but if you don't change the culture of an organization, All you're going to do is create an environment where people are more and more afraid to come to work and and are afraid of each other. So you need to have the accountability piece for sure because part of the culture change is making sure that people understand that you're never too big to fail and that if if you break policies you will have ramifications for that and that's the piece that's been missing in Hollywood and I think missing in the legislature. But that culture change is important and it's, it's not easy to get there. You know, at the Women's March, I said on stage that, you know, for people that didn't understand what we were trying to do, you can pay us more and grope us less. Women around the world are raising their voices. Women who have been subjected to harassment and discrimination in the workplace are bravely breaking their silence. And yet, we still have people who say, what's wrong with them? What's the problem? And today we say, pay us more, grope us less. Interestingly, the grope us less part, I think is easier to accomplish. Mm -hmm. It's the pay us more part that's difficult because that requires society seeing women as equal to men and just as valuable. So, we have got to get to that place before we're really going to have a really safe place and a good place for people to come to work, regardless of your ethnicity, your race, or your gender. And I'll give you an example of this. When we were putting this committee together, at one point it looked like it was going to be all women and one man. And the man said to me, oh, phew, it's going to be so strange to be the only man. I mean, I'm going to be really uncomfortable. I'm the only man. And he walked away, and I thought, well, gosh. Welcome to the world of every single woman legislator and of a lot of women in business. We're used to being the only woman up there. You know, that's the the norm that society expects is that when you have a group of powerful people, it's going to be a bunch of men and maybe there'll be a couple of women thrown in. It's not the case that we view that boardroom or the Oval Office as being all women and maybe there's a man there. So until we change it to where that becomes perfectly normal, We're not going to really get to the crux of why men are still seeing women as there to be, as there for their own gratification, Mm -hmm. or second-class citizens, or people that they can prey on, or people that are that are um, unentitled. Unless there's a lot of women around, those women are always going to be isolated, Mm -hmm. and uh, and and subject to you know to being put in positions where they feel that they can't come forward because they know. That they think that they can be replaced, that there's, you know, they'll just put another woman in there. Uh, So there's all kinds of reasons why having that gender parity and also racial parity is the only way you can really get to workplaces that are protective of everybody.
1: Is there a way for those of us in in this movement to continue to talk about it, continue to influence um, those outside of it without over politicizing it? Should it be that we bring up the politics behind it all. The should it not should it be a nonpartisan issue?
0: Well, that's a great question. I do think it's nonpartisan, and we, you know, I, I feel like when I talk to my male colleagues about this, um, the the partisanship of it becomes less evident. Um, I have allies on the Republican side and on the Democratic side, and certainly the people that have been that are right now are under, you know, in the spotlight for having committed these offenses are Democrats. They're not Republicans primarily. So we see that this behavior is not about it being in any particular political party, it's about being a man. Um, although women have certainly done this in the past, you know, 95 percent of sexual harassment cases it's men, you know, uh, against women. Um, but the ally part of it is a really big part of the solution, and it can't just be you know, we can't change, as women, we can't change the culture ourselves. Um, We have to have male allies that are out there working with us and interestingly when we talk to people who do training in this area the evidence is showing more and more that the type of compliance training that's usually done does not really have much of an effect that the two things that have an effect number one is getting more women in positions of power in an organization so that they're seen as being equal and the other is bystander training where you do train those men to empathize with how women are feeling in a situation and teach them how to respond when they see something that they know is not appropriate you know all of us are I know that I've been in these experiences in the past where something's happened and we feel like we should say something or do something And we don't because we don't really know what to do and it's awkward in that moment. And then later we kick ourselves and we say, gosh, I really should have done something. Well, if we can train bystanders to pick up on why they're feeling a little uncomfortable and to realize that it's because somebody's in one of these situations and then train them how to respond in the moment to where it's second nature to them, that's where you can start to change the culture. So I'll give you an example. Years ago, people would use racial epitaphs, you know, in the workplace. You'd hear it. When I was young, I remember hearing a lot of racial epitaphs just out there in the world, and people really didn't do much about it. Now, if somebody did that in the workplace, they'd be shunned by their peers. People would say, hey, what did you just say? You know, that's not cool. We have to get the same way with sexual harassment, where if a man is sitting at a table with a bunch of men and a woman, and the woman walks away, and a man makes a comment about her body, that the men don't just giggle, that they say, wait a minute, you know, that's our friend, what are you saying? That's, you know, that's not acceptable. Or if they see something, a woman's being put in a bad position, they walk over to her and they say, hey, I saw what he said, are you okay? I didn't think that that was right, how do you feel about it? And, And we engage, and that way, everybody becomes part of the solution and um, that's, that I think is gonna be a huge way that we can change the culture and it's something that I, I'm sure that we're gonna see change in the way that we do training here in the capital.
1: Is there a way that technology can help not only the capital but other human resource uh, agencies get a handle on this and allow employees to feel comfortable? I, I know that's something that I've done some reading about. Yes. And there's some in, that's been uh, proposed. What, do
0: you, what are your thoughts on that? There are some new technology platforms that uh, allow people to, uh, there's some that allow for kind of, I don't want to call it sort of public shaming, but sort of internal sort of response to people. Um, I think that's, you know, kind of a radical step. And I don't, I'm curious to see how that works. I know there's a few apps out there that do that. Uh, not just for sexual harassment, but for all, um, you know, numbers of behaviors. Um, and then there's apps that help people with reporting that I think you know, are definitely worth us looking at to see if they can help people report. And there's an app that I saw that's being used by several companies in Silicon Valley that I thought looked very interesting that allow—what that what it does is it has hundreds of very realistic scenarios in a whole range of topics around harassment in the workplace. And it allows people to watch those in their own time but then to comment or ask questions anonymously and to read other people's comments and questions. And then experts come in and they answer those. So you're not only responding yourself watching these but you're in a safe space because nobody knows who you are and you can read other people's responses and have real dialogue where maybe in, in a in, if you were in person with your coworkers, you wouldn't feel comfortable saying, well, I don't know why that's a problem. I would have done the same thing. But doing an anonymously online allows you to say, to push back a little and say, hey, wait a minute, he's just asking her out. What's wrong with that? And then you can really start having a dialogue about some of the more uh, sensitive and nuanced issues. And, and then there's always an expert in that room to answer questions about the law and about kind of you know what maybe the better way of handling a situation is. So I think that sounds like a very powerful tool because it's an educational tool, but it's interactive and it grabs people's attention. Mm-hmm. And it allows people to, to kind of get into the issues in, in a safe space. Are there other legislatures that are handling these things
1: correctly? I know it's not this the whole this whole issue is not unique to California, or is this area that really has not been focused on it all yet, and we can lead the way here?
0: From what I've seen, some state houses have made an effort to deal with this, and some of them are kind of going through the same process that we are, is trying to to figure out what to do. A lot of them have not addressed it at all. There's, uh, I I didn't know that Congress didn't do any training. Uh, They're just now instituting that for the first time for members, which is pretty shocking. Although, given the efficacy of a lot of training, you know, maybe they were right to not do it. Um, But I haven't seen any other state houses that are holding the kinds of hearings that we're having to really go in depth on the issues. You know, when there's a crisis, and in some ways you could say that the whole nation is in crisis mode with this topic, People want to react, and we're legislators, so we want to be the first one out the door with that piece of legislation that's going to solve the problem. Uh, but, and there's a lot of that happening around the country where people are introducing bills. And there is some place for legislation that changes some of our laws that make it make reporting difficult or make it restrictive or to help with information gathering. But when we're talking about culture change, you're not going to be able to legislate that. So, I think having this sort of longer conversation that's more in depth, the way that we're doing it with the committees and bringing in experts, is something that's going to really help us as policymakers as we look at these issues. The thing that we have to be careful of is knee jerk reactions in the time of crisis and doing legislation that may not really be as well thought out as we'd like because you want to be the one out there to solve the problem, which is great. Everybody wants to solve problems, that's what we're here for. But this is such a difficult and complicated issue that we owe it to the people of California who are affected by this, and we owe it to our employees in the State House to take the time to do it right, to capture this moment, because we may not have this moment next year. It may be that this isn't in the headlines anymore and we've moved on, and if we don't get the legislation right, people are gonna be suffering. So um, I just hope that we balance the need to move quickly with the need to be thoughtful.
1: Well, Assemblymember Friedman, again, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time today to sit down with us for uh, the Assembly Democrats Look West podcast to talk about this important topic. Thanks for your interest. Thanks. I'm Sammy Gallegos. Thank you for joining us.